today's sermon is uh, called is called persecution and eternal choices. I did a sermon back in 2018 uh, called "With Persecutions," which is two words from uh, Mark, which I'll read in a minute. But in three and a half years, you know, society has changed. God's word hasn't changed, but I've changed, and so I decided to redo it. And so the one that's there now, I'll probably delete and put this on. So, like I said, the title is Persecution and Eternal Choices. And after praying about that, that was the kind of the title I got because I've sort of, when I was studying this, learned there are two types of persecutions. There's the persecutions which we've seen in the last 24 hours where you make a choice and as we've seen the Supreme Court made uh, the five or six made the choice and took the consequences of it and received persecutions the uh, press is, is hysterical about it or there's the persecutions that come on people like in communist countries and then people make choices because of the pressure of persecution. So either way there's choices. So I'll start with Mark chapter 10, read in verse 28 through 30. There's several scriptures. Mark 10 verses 28 through 30. Peter began to say to him, I'm reading out of the Tree of Life version. Peter began to say to him, him being Yeshua, look, we've left everything to follow you. Amen. I tell you, Yeshua replied, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the sake of the good news, the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times as much now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and property, along with persecutions. And in the olam haba, that's the world to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And I believe what so we don't think that Yeshua is saying you're going to prosper. He might, we may receive that under persecution. But for the sake of the kingdom of God, I think Yeshua is saying that when you leave to follow Yeshua, as we'll discuss, you have to leave everything, as he said, and you can receive much more now and in the future with your part of a new family You've received people, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and their lives and their property were part of a new family, but that with that comes persecutions. So it is the topic of persecution that we consider in this message. Following Yeshua has a cost on our earthly lives and our eternal soul. It is one he warned us about time and again, and it is a choice we 
need to all make. I'm finding more and more people making similar comments about how quickly our current society in the United States is changing, getting worse. I've been hearing a lot of that in the last few months. Seems to me like being in an elevator that is quickly going down, possibly in free fall, resulting in the elevator, if you excuse the expression, crashing on the bottom of the elevator shaft, despite all the safeguards installed. As we are seeing in the current events, our country and the world is quickly descending into chaos and paganism. They think they're evolving, but when you read history, it's nothing more than a descent into paganism, a complete shedding and withdrawal of God and his word. Evil people, are, as we're seeing, are now empowered and emboldened to do their worst in this world. And that's true not only in overseas, in the war, in the Ukraine, but we're seeing it in other countries and in this world. People feel that they can now do evil and nobody's going to stop them except by the grace of God. We are reverting back to life as people knew it in the Roman Empire. We are worshiping false gods, sexual chaos, demonic attitudes, extreme violence, and so on. We're also seeing assemblies and churches that supposedly call themselves Christian, distorting the things of God by including pagan practices and receiving applause for doing so. False doctrines abound, and so do false apostles and prophets. And more and more hearing and reading people saying that they're finding it harder to find true Bible-based believers, I guess. But with that comes the fact they're finding it hard, and a lot of it depends on where they're looking and their attitudes, but they're finding it harder to find Bible-based assemblies and churches that are, uh, I even know of one person online in his country, not in this country, that for what he's been able to tell, virtually every church has gone over to apostasy, and he only knows of one or two churches in his area that preach repentance. And that could be, I don't know if that's out of dozens or hundreds, but um, it's something I've read a few times in different countries. So at the starting point, let's talk about when Yeshua called his uh, disciples. As Yeshua was in um, Matthew, you, can, you don't have to necessarily turn, you can follow Matthew 4 verses 18 through 20 it says now Yeshua was walking by the sea of Galilee he saw two brothers Simon who was called Peter or Kepha and Andrew his brother they were casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen and he said to them follow me and I will make you fishers of men immediately they left their nets and followed him now that's relevant because that's part of what we'll discuss in terms of persecution. Yeshua was asking not only follow him, but much more. We read the beginnings of Yeshua's earthly ministry. It was a humble, small beginning, but one that would shake up the world. In these scriptures, Yeshua calls Peter, Kepha, and Andrew to be his disciples. It was a calling he was to make to 10 other men and beyond that, to many more. The disciples found that they could not, with Yeshua, they could not straddle the fence and be in two worlds. 
They tried that in the beginning when they were with Yeshua, and then they went back, and then Yeshua called them again, and this time it was permanently. They gave up everything. Yeshua made them choose one or the other. In typical rabbi-disciple fashion of the time, Yeshua was calling them to a radical discipleship. Spend all your time with him, Yeshua. Unlike the costs associated with following someone else, which were more hidden, following Yeshua came with a higher and steeper upfront cost. As Joshua said to the children of Israel in Joshua 24:15, if it seems bad to you to worship Adonai, then choose for yourself today whom you will serve. Whether the gods, and Tim was talking about that when the children of Israel came back, the t- uh, 12 elders came back with a bad report. They made a choice, and a bad one. And it had eternal consequences for everybody but two people. Whether the gods that your fathers worshipped that were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will worship Adonai. Joshua's call, if it had been followed, would have cost Israel a lot in terms of being different from their pagans, neighbors, but they were unwilling to pay the price. It would also prove to be a costly choice as well for the inner circle of Yeshua's disciples as most, I believe all of them except John, lost their life in service to the Lord. And I guess they tried to boil John in oil, but the Lord kept him from boiling. But he went to Patmos and received the revelation. So he was in God's will. They were warned ahead of time by the Lord this would happen. Persecution, ridicule, and death. To those who want to follow the Lord in a Western society, there is an increasing possibility that we will have to, as well, say no to the culture at large and say so out loud, and we will have to bear the consequences, the cost to ourselves, our spouses, our jobs, maybe even our lives. And I believe this really hit home to me in the last 24 hours with the um, Supreme Court voting out Roe versus Wade and saying that it's not a constitutional guarantee at the federal level because they said no to the culture and took the flack and are still taking the flack for it, including their lives. And I believe it's a similar call that believers will be called to because they, if all you got to do is look at the press now and see that the press and the Supreme Court are like talking about two different things. The Supreme Court is saying there's no such thing as abortion guarantee and beyond that, there's no such thing in the Bible that, and the press is like, it's the end of the world, our freedoms are being taken away. So they came under persecution and so there's like two different worlds we're talking about. There's the kingdom of God and a Bible-based belief, and then there's Babylon, as the Lord calls it, in Revelation and others, and asking his people to come out of it. And we have, I believe, we'll come to the point where we may end up 
being persecuted because of it. I've seen a former presidential candidate who will remain nameless who said on a political basis, if these people get in, they're not referring to believers, but it's more left versus right. It's the end of democracy as we know it. And that's basically the attitude as we'll talk about a little bit of history at the end that they had in the Roman Empire is they thought that believers in Yeshua were a threat to their society and the result was persecution and ridicule and death. As one who is basically non-confrontational by nature, it is all too easy for me to fall into line, but Yeshua stated numerous times that the contrary will be required of us. In the days ahead, I believe, as society continues to degenerate and possibly collapse, uh, I mean, the, the, uh, I just read where Sri Lanka's economy completely collapsed. They don't even have the money to buy fuel, heating fuel or anything. Um, we have to, quote, choose you this day whom you will serve. And at the end of the message, we'll talk a little bit of history of what the first century believers went through and the cost. As I said, Yeshua warned us time and again, as well as Paul, Peter, John, and James, and the rest of the apostles, what would happen. And so let's talk about what, mostly what Yeshua said about this subject. John 15, verses 18 through 20. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But you are not of the world, since I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And I can't tell you how many times I've come across congregations that have used worldly means to grow and sustain their congregation and are paying the price for it as people are fleeing them, and at least in these difficult times. Here we see Yeshua stating the world hated him and still hates him, which we see even now. Because we follow Yeshua, we should expect the same treatment. Why? Because we have been chosen and we are moved to a new kingdom, God's kingdom. We are being translated and changed into his image. No longer should we be following the things of this world. Now we should find our minds fixed on the things of the kingdom of God. The world and the people of this doomed world hate us. Those we formerly knew think it strange. We no longer do the evil things we used to do. And I'll read... First uh, Peter chapter four verses one through five or four um, four through five um, yeah one through five. First Peter chapter four verses one through five. Therefore, since Messiah suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. He's asking us to have the same attitude as Messiah, to be willing to suffer. For the one who has suffered in the flesh is finished with sin. That's what suffering does. It kills you. As a result, he lives the rest of his time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, but for God's will. 
For the time has passed that has passed was sufficient for you to carry out the desires of the pagans, living in indecency, lusts, drunken binges, orgies, wild parties, and lawless idolatries. They are surprised that you do not run with them into the same riot of recklessness, and they vilify you. But they will have to give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Here we see Peter stating that because we have been changed, we will be making choices that will, to put it mildly, ruffle the feathers of people. That's an understatement. Even the family we are part of and the friends we used to know could get upset. In some cases, many cases, they'll hate you and want nothing to do with you. You know, this is where patience comes in. We have to learn, as I'll talk about, we'll learn to love people despite the persecution. But guess what? Because of the changes the Lord's doing in our life, we'll find that we want nothing to do with those who are into those things. We have a new family. In Luke chapter 6, verse 22 and 23, it says, Yeshua said, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and jump for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for their fathers used to treat the prophets the same way. So as you can see, we're, by the building up of these scriptures, Yeshua is saying we're supposed to be different than the world to the point where they don't understand us, they're surprised, and they even hate us. And as, as Yeshua also said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here we see Yeshua warning us of the results of the transformation he will effect on our lives. It will change us and make us different from the world. The world will think it strange and will hate and persecute us, exclude us from their presence and groups. They will revile us, which means become abusive and angrily insulting. As Yeshua stated, when we are persecuted in this world for telling it the truth, God's truth, they will hate us and we will find we are in good company, the prophets of old. When that happens, how are we supposed to react? To them. Luke 6, verses 27 through 36 sums it up. But I say to you who are listening, which is us, those who have ears to hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for the ones who mistreat you, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes your cloak, do not hold back your shirt. Give to everyone who asks you, and whoever takes something of yours, make no demands on him. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, 
What credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are doing good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do this. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to take credit, take, you know, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of Elyon, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil ones. Be compassionate just as your father is compassionate to you. Now I was listening after the announcement of Ro about Roe v. Wade on National Public Radio and they were interviewing a sheriff of a southern town and they basically were talking about this situation and they were saying, I'll pray for them. You know, on National Public Radio. <laughs> The announcers or that sheriff? The sheriff, and they put it on the broadcast. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You know, I don't hate them. He said, I don't hate them, but... So, in sum, we are to speak the truth of the world and to each other. The people of God will hopefully receive it. Not always, but the world will not receive it. In fact, they will hate our lives, our witnesses, and our Bible-based truth. But we are not to strike back. We are to pray for them, love them, show compassion, and not expect any return in that love. It is up to God to answer the prayer and change lives. And these warnings about suffering and persecution continued into the apostles, Peter, James, John, Paul, and so on. Paul said to Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Messiah Yeshua will be persecuted. Uh, Peter said, Loved ones, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. And I mean, for us in Western culture, it may seem strange, but according to Peter, it shouldn't be. Instead, rejoice insofar as you share in the sufferings of Messiah, so that at the revelation of his glory, you may also rejoice and be glad. If you are insulted for the name of Messiah, you are fortunate for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. For let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or the troublemaker, but if anyone suffers for falling Messiah, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in his name, in this name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with the house of God. If judgment begins with us first, what will be the end for those who disobey the good news of God? Now, notice the context of what Peter is saying to us. We hear people say, including me, <coughs> that the time has come for judgment to begin with the house of God. But the context is persecution and going through fiery ordeals, and that God uses suffering and persecution to purify us, get rid of the dross, the dross, excuse me, and other garbage in our life. The word judgment in Greek is krima, 
It means a decree, a judgment, a condemnation of wrong, which one passes on the faults of others. It's the sentence of a judge. To me, Peter is stating that we shouldn't necessarily just think that suffering is punishment, but part of the workings of God in our lives. If Yeshua thought it worthy to suffer for his father, then we should as well. And if we suffer for being righteous, righteous before God and man, just imagine how bad it will get for those who are disobedient. And John said in 1 John, Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. And James said, Jacob, Yaakov, Consider it all joy, my brothers, brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect work, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So you can sort of see the pattern in this. Unlike the world and the evil people in it, we are supposed to as Yeshua said, and Peter and Paul and others, we are supposed to behave ourselves when we're persecuted. We are supposed to not respond with evil, but are supposed to bless, even if it's just in prayer. It doesn't mean we don't stand up for right or for suffering for wrong. Doing something wrong, we should take the... But if we're doing God's will and we suffer, we're supposed to bless them, just as Yeshua blessed us, after his death and resurrection, we're supposed to respond to evil with good. And Paul even said that uh, one can not only survive persecution, but thrive if we have our priorities straight. In Romans, Paul said, Who shall separate us from the love of Messiah? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written. For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. This is Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. And Paul talked about what he lost when he became a follower of Yeshua, when he was called by Yeshua to follow him. He said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, he considers all things to be lost in comparison to the surpassing value of the knowledge of Messiah Yeshua, his Lord, my Lord. Compared to knowing Yeshua, everything else was worthless. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them garbage in order that I may gain Messiah and be found in him, not having my righteousness derived from Torah, but one that is through trusting in Messiah, the righteousness from God based on trust. My aim is to know him and the power of his resurrection 
and the sharing of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And I read a book recently, and I'll have to read it again, uh, I think it's seven or eight teachings from people who are part of the persecuted church in China. It was an amazing book. I have to read it again because I don't remember a lot of it. But one of the things that struck me was they had nothing else. That's all they've had since 1949. That's, um, you know, 73 years of intense persecution that's getting worse, including up to genocide. They have nothing except Yeshua. No, I don't remember. It's it was an anthology that someone put together of Chinese. But that's another really good one that talks about the same thing. Yeah, yeah this one's like in the last few years. Um, so an historical example, so we can put this into context. I've read many books on the various types of world history. One of my favorites is reading about the history of the Roman Empire. Lately, when I have been rereading Roman Empire history, I've been struck by the huge difference between the Roman culture and the demands of Scripture, particularly as stated by Yeshua and Paul in the New Covenant. In the area of sexual morality, the Romans allowed anything to go from a man's point of view, and there was nothing anyone could do about it legally or would do nothing about it, nor would anything, anyone do anything about it. That is the way the culture worked and the pagan Romans accepted it. Women were considered the weaker sex physically and mentally and were basically little more than slaves, although they were better off than Greek women. Greek women basically stayed in the house and raised the family and never went out for any reason whatsoever. Particularly in the areas of sex, men could commit adultery, affairs with men and women, and it was considered okay. Women, on the other hand, could not do any of that and could be charged with a crime. And if they were caught, they could be executed. Under Augustus, it was illegal for a man to forgive his wife in this area, but must divorce her. Divorce was rampant, sometimes several divorces, usually for the purpose of increasing status of men. The woman's status was irrelevant. And whether it was dealing with slaves, the enjoyment of violence, you know, they had a, you know, the Colosseums and they became part of their life. They had extreme wealth and corruption and idolatry. And enter Yeshua, the apostles, the disciples, and the Torah of God. And everything about Yeshua and what he taught and what his disciples taught was the complete opposite and a literal condemnation, in my opinion, of the Roman Empire system and ethics. That is essentially, I think, what God has called us to, is to become so close to him that our lives become different. And I think as society collapses around us and degenerates, it's, you know, people are going to hate us because we'll be different. As we've seen in the Supreme Court, we'll refuse to take part in many things. The biblical ethic was the opposite of Roman culture, was the opposite of a lot of cultures. And the Romans considered it a threat to their systems. They probably considered the followers of Yeshua upside down, and as Tim said, they considered the followers of Yeshua to be atheists because they wouldn't follow uh, emperor worship or any of the worship, any of the Roman gods. In uh, a Torah culture, 
Bible culture, men and women were married for life. Divorce was limited to certain biblically defined situations. Men and women in marriage were supposed to show respect for one another, live to serve each other, even die for each other as Yeshua died for us. Uh, putting others was the rule of life, unlike in the Roman Empire, <coughs> where if he didn't like, it was up to the man to decide whether when a child was born, whether it would live or not. If it didn't live, it was put out and exposed on the rocks and died. And believers made a habit of taking those children and adopting them and raising them. And that's probably a, something we need to consider now with Roe versus Wade the whole situation has changed, we need to be willing to not necessarily adopt, but even if it means finances, put ourselves in the place of helping those who aren't wanted. It's just a thought. In Roman life, you could have sex with anyone, male, female, or child. In the kingdom of God, sex was between a husband and wife only. Like I said, the kingdom of God and Yeshua's teaching was a slap in the face and a threat to the Roman Empire. That is why followers of Yeshua were looked down upon on both by some of the leadership of Israel, religious and political, and much of Roman pagan society. It is one of the reasons why followers of Yeshua including Yeshua himself, was persecuted and fell, killed. So, Father, in Yeshua's name, I ask that you would take this message to us in this room and to those who are listening on the podcast and realize, help us to realize that we are entering times where we will have to make choice, times where we will have to stand up. Though... Roe versus Wade and the abortion issue has changed legally. The people's hearts of the supporters have not changed. Their attitudes have not changed. And so we need to pray for them and witness to them and help us, Father, to persevere under the trials that are coming and any persecutions. Help us to live out the kingdom of God to speak it and live it out in Yeshua's name. Amen.